can open your Bibles with me, if you've got them, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We got through one verse last week. I'm more ambitious this week. Uh, We'll plan to move through verses 1 through 25 of Genesis chapter 1 this morning. Uh, the tr- traditional understanding, the book of Genesis, is that Genesis was written by the prophet Moses. Okay, and there's some people today who would debate that, but I'm, I'm content with, uh, with what Jesus seems to express in terms of his understanding of who wrote the first bi- five books of the Bible, that, that these were written by Moses. Okay, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so the first generation of people who would have heard Genesis in this form would have been Israel in the wilderness. Okay? So it's most probable that, that Moses wrote these first five books of the Bible uh, during Israel's wilderness wandering, after the Exodus and before they entered into the Promised Land, because, of course, Moses died just before they went into the Promised Land. And so the first generation of people to, to hear these words, right, to hear this account of the creation of the world, would have been Israel in the wilderness. And I think it would have been a great comfort to, to them to hear these words. Israel in the wilderness was, well, you know the story. Israel wasn't that faithful in the wilderness. Um, Israel struggled with doubt in the wilderness. Israel struggled to believe that the God who brought them out of Egypt would also bring them into the promised land. Israel in the wilderness was surrounded by enemies. Israel in the wilderness was worried about the nations that stood between them and the promised land. Israel in the wilderness was worried about the gods of the nations around them. Israel in the wilderness, wondered if God was powerful enough and good enough to carry through on his word. I think Genesis 1, as Moses first gave it to the people, as this first would have been read to the people, would have offered the people of Israel great assurance that the God they worshipped, that the God who brought them out of Egypt, that the God who'd made promises to bring them into the promised land, was the same God who formed this earth with power and care. That the same God who formed the heavens and the earth was the God who was going to bring them into the promised land. And we're going to see this morning that I think this should offer us great confidence and assurance too. That the God we serve, that the God we know, that the God we've met in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the same God who made all things and formed all things by his powerful word and with his tender care. I think that's the main message of Genesis 1 this morning, and and that's our big idea. God formed this earth, our God formed this earth with power and with care. And of course, there's a lot of questions that come up when we come into Genesis 1, questions about um, how to take the word day here. Are we dealing with literal days? Um, there's all sorts of objections that come up in terms of people's understanding of, um, of how Genesis 1 fits with contemporary scientific accounts of the creation of the universe. We're going to talk about some of those as we go along. 
Um, we we want to understand well what's, what's being taught here and how to understand it in its genre. Um, but the main point, the main thing I want us to leave with today is that our God, our God formed this world with power and with care. And that should be of great comfort to us. Let's read our passage together and then we'll pray. Genesis 1, and we'll begin in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there is evening and morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that as we come to your word that we would meet you and that we would come to know you and to trust you, to know you as our creator, as the God who formed the earth with power, to know you, the God of the powerful creating word, and to know you, the God who made this creation with such care. We pray, Lord, that we would come to know you this morning in these pages and in the spirit and in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our big idea this morning, our God is the God who formed this world with power and with care. Let's start with the word form. God formed this world. Let's look at verse 1 again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then right on the heels of verse 1, which we talked about last week, Moses tells us this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The picture we're given here is of the primordial earth, and it's a chaotic place. It's not yet been ordered. God has not yet formed it and filled it. It's dark. There's no light yet. Um, There's not really any order to it. It's sort of a a watery, chaotic place. And the, the picture we're given of the six days of creation is that in each day, God forms and fills the earth and makes it beautiful. And at the end of the six days, we didn't actually get to the end. We'll talk more about the sixth day next week. Um, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Okay, So we go from this somewhat chaotic, unformed earth in the beginning, and by the end of the week, God has made it very good. Um, one helpful way to split up the days is to think that in the, is to see that in the first three days, God's forming, and the second three days, God's filling. Okay, so he forms the earth, and he fills the earth. Um, so in these six days, God is forming the earth. And notice, too, he's forming the earth. There's a perspective shift in verse 2. Right In verse 1 we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So we have in view here the abode of God all the way down to the dust in which we walk. And then in verse 2 the perspective shifts and we're told the earth was without form and void. Okay. So now we're, we're, looking, we're looking at the world in which we live here. Right? And, and no longer necessarily at, at God's heavens, but at the, the ground we walk on and the, the air, the atmosphere, the sky. The place we find ourselves living in. And so it's this place, this earth, this world that God's shaping in these six days. So our main question this morning is, is how did he do it? Um, and you may have noticed as we read through these six days, there's quite a lot of repetition. Okay? And, and the, it, often in Old Testament passages like this, um, you, almost, you almost might be tempted to start feeling bored because you hear the same phrase again and again and again. It's like, I get the point, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. But the repetition means this is important, right? It doesn't mean tune this out. It means tune in. This is important. You need to get this. Repetition for emphasis. 
Repetition for emphasis. And so I want us to see two things that are emphasized, I think, above, above the rest in these six days, that God formed this world powerfully and carefully. He formed this world with great power and with great care. First, with great power. What are the opening words on the first day of formation? Verse 3, and God said. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And, and this is the formula that's repeated on every day. The beginning of each day, it's, and God said. God speaks, and then it's so. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. End of verse 7, and it was so. Right. And so we see this, this pattern repeated in each of the days. The day begins, verse 9, and God said, let the waters be gathered into one place, and it was so. God formed this world powerfully and he formed it specifically through his powerful word through his powerful word when god speaks all of creation stands to attention right when god spoke light when god spoke day two separating the waters from the waters this is the creation of the atmosphere okay he spoke the atmosphere Verse 9, God spoke, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. He spoke and, and the seas stood to attention right, and retreated. And it was so. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit which is in their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. When God spoke on day 4, speaking the sun and the moon and the stars into existence, the he, he scattered the stars in, his, in the sky just by a phrase. Right? Let there be, and it was so. Day five, God said, verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. Right? God says the word, and the, and the waters teem with, with life. The airs teem with birds. Day six, verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. It's the creation of land animals, mammals, creeping things. God said, and it was so. God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. When God speaks, every atom in existence obeys because every atom in existence belongs to him. Right? He is the creator and his word is powerful. God created, he formed this world with his powerful word. And you can imagine what comfort this must have been to Israel wandering in the wilderness. Intimidated by the, the, the um, powerful armies of the Canaanites in front of them. Still maybe some residual fear of the Egyptian armies behind them. Wandering in the wilderness, vulnerable, exposed to the elements, wondering if they would be provided for and then to hear from the pen and the mouth of Moses. You know the sun that goes up and down every day? It does that at the command of the God who is with you and has promised to bring you into the promised land. 
The, one, the God who's promised to care for you, he's actually the one who invented the sun. He actually spoke it into being. The one who's commanded you to go up into Canaan, he's the same one who commanded the seas into place. This is the God you serve. He's the, one, he's the God of the powerful word. Do we believe it? Do we pray to God like the whole universe stands to attention at his word? It's, it's easy to begin to doubt, right? Especially when we're faced with hard things. It's easy to come to prayer and to, to come wondering, could God actually do it if he wanted to? Is this request maybe too big? There, there is no ask too mighty for God. He's the God who speaks and every atom obeys. He's the God who made this world with his powerful word. And the amazing thing is we actually have his word. That we have in, in the scriptures, God's words. God's powerful words. And we're assured in Isaiah 55, I'm sure many of you know this verse, Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. This is God speaking. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I think you can read these verses almost as a commentary on Genesis 1, right? God's word accomplishes what he intends for it, right? When God speaks, the sun listens. When God speaks, light, right? When God speaks, whales and maple trees, right? When God speaks, creation listens. And it's the same with the word of God that we hold in our hands, right? And how many copies of this do we have at home gathering dust? And, and to know that these are actually the powerful words of a mighty God, that these words are powerful, these words, these gospel words, when we first heard them or when we heard them for the first time clearly, what did they do in our hearts, right? When we heard the word of the, of the died and risen Christ, what happened in our hearts, right? Transformation by the powerful word accomplishing what God sent it forth to do. The word is powerful, and, and not just the written word. Think about the word, word. We, we read last week from John chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the word. This is the Apostle John's commentary on Genesis 1. Right? He riffs off of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what we expect to hear. But, but John says, in the beginning was the word. 
It's talking about Jesus. It's capital W there in your Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So that as we read Genesis 1 and we hear about God speaking, we actually see Jesus there. It's not explicit in Genesis 1, but the Apostle John is telling us that's Jesus at creation, the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God that creates. Jesus is the Word of God. We actually... We actually see all three persons of the Trinity there just in Genesis 1. God the Father, God the Son, the Word, and then God the Spirit hovering over the waters. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But Jesus is the Word. And we can have confidence, just like the Israelites knew, God had promised to bring them into Canaan, the God who spoke the universe into existence, and so they could know Isaiah hadn't spoken the words yet, but they could know that the word of God would accomplish what he set it forth to accomplish, right? God has promised to bring us into the land. God will bring us into the land. He spoke the Son into existence, for goodness sake. And we can know, too, as we think about Jesus and as we look to his promises, as we come to the cross and lean on Christ for forgiveness, as we come to the cross and plead with God for a new life, as we come to Jesus' resurrection and look forward long for our bodies to be made new, long for the whole creation to be made new, like we talked about last week, we can know with the confidence of Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. And Jesus is the word. And Jesus has gone out. Jesus has begun his work, and he will not stop until it is finished. We need not doubt that our forgiveness might be left half done. We need not be in doubt that our resurrection might be in question. We need not be in doubt that one day Christ will return and that the heavens and the earth will be remade because Jesus is the word and Jesus will accomplish that which the Father purposes. And he shall succeed in the thing for which this Father sent him. Jesus is the word. And Jesus will accomplish all that the Father intends for him. God formed the word, the world, with his powerful word, and that should give us confidence. He will bring us to the promised land. God formed the world with his powerful word. That's our first point this morning. Let's pause here in the center of the sermon um, and think about, think about days. Um, Uh, it's a common interpretation, you'll probably hear it out there, um, where some Bible-believing Christians who believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God have interpreted these days, and they would say that this is poetic, or this is figurative. These weren't actual days, that they're, they're sort of symbolic days, and they, it was actually sort of a day age. Okay? Um, I'm not sympathetic to that view, I, I don't think that fits well with the text. Um, 
so you'll hear some people t say that Genesis 1 is poetic, okay? Um, and all of the Hebrew scholars that I've read uh, are, are united in saying this is not Hebrew poetry, okay? This is prose. This is not poetic language. It is elevated language. It's of a, um, it's a, it's a sort of grand language, but it's not highly figurative. It's not highly metaphorical. If you read Job 38, there's a lot of figurative language in there. Okay, there's a lot of metaphor, what Brian read earlier, and that's all about God creating the universe. Okay? That's, that's poetic language. That's in the, the form of Hebrew poetry. This is not Hebrew poetry. Okay? And the, the, the word choice is actually, in some ways, quite prosaic. Right? We're talking about days. We're talking about light. We're talking about darkness. We're talking about vegetation. We're talking about trees, right? What this, this is not highly symbolic language. This is pretty prosaic. And the word day here is the Hebrew word for day. Um, and it's actually defined for us on the first day. God defines what a day is for us in Genesis 1. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night, okay? So God's actually defining the word day for us here. That's the Hebrew word yom. Um, uh, so he defines day as light and darkness as night. And then there was evening and there was morning the first day, okay? That's interesting. This is a day without a sun. Uh, the light here is the light of God's own presence, the same light that we'll see at the end of the Bible that we will see one day in the new heavens and the new earth, where there will be no sun in the new Jerusalem. God himself will be our light. Um, it's just an interesting side note. Um, but, but I think what we see here is it's God defining a day, and, and I, um, without doing interpretive gymnastics, um, I can't make it sound like anything other than a day. Okay, so I think that God formed the world in six days. I think that's what we have here in Genesis. Um, there's some just put this out there because someone asked me about it last week. There's some commentators and interpreters, interpreters who, um, uh, who posit the suggestion that between verse 2 and verse 3, there may have been an indefinite space of time, a gap. This is called the gap theory. Um, and uh, uh, Sailhammer is one of the exponents of this, this view. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's... Uh, uh, by its very nature, it's a guess, right? It's saying, well, maybe there was an indefinite space of time between the time where God created the primordial earth and then God began to shape it. The text doesn't tell us. So I, I don't have a firm opinion on that question, but just so you know, that's an option that's out there. Um, we could spend all day talking about these questions, right? And the, the, the various interpretive options that people have come up with. There's no end of the books that you could read um, on, these, on these questions. Um, I think we're talking about a literal six days here. I think that's clear in the text. I think what's, what's most important in the text um, is less about these debates and more about who our God is. So let's get back on track. Um, our God formed this earth, formed this world, with power and with care. With power and with care. So let's talk about care. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, 
and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What are we supposed to make of this hovering? Um, I always thought this was creepy growing up when I read this first. Like, it's like sort of like a ghost, like hovering. Like what? What's the Spirit of God doing hovering? It's just hanging out there. Um, turn with me to Deuteronomy uh, 32. Deuteronomy 32. And this same verb, hovering, is going to be used here, and, and we're going to be able to get a glimpse into what it means. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 11. Actually, begin in verse 10. And this is, um, this is God speaking through Moses, speaking of how he found Israel and brought, him, brought Israel into his care. Deuteronomy 32, beginning in verse 10. He, God, found Israel in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters, hovers, that's the same word, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. So this is the picture of God's care for his people. Um, that God was hovering over them like a mother bird over, over its nest, right? And, and actually like catching them when they fall out of the nest. Um, that's what the Spirit of God is doing here at creation, hovering over this as of yet unformed earth like a mother bird, like a mother bird over a nest. In, in careful expectation of what, of what will soon come to be. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We have, we have hints here that this is of God's heart, that God actually likes this creation. This isn't, um, he's not blasé about it, right? He, he actually likes it. Right? He's stewarding it, caring for it. And then we see repeated on almost each day of creation, after God speaks powerfully, and it is so, verse 4, and God saw that the light was good. God saw that the light was good. God's a craftsman who, who reflects on his creation and sees that it's good. Like you can imagine a master carpenter, right, who's built this beautiful dining room table, and then he's, he's like, He's checking it out after he's put the final coat of finish on. He's checking that each corner is square. He says, this is a good table. This is a solid table. This table can sit in someone's dining room for the next hundred years. This is a good table. You've, maybe, you've, uh, maybe you've bought things from people who were not good craftsmen before. Right? And you can tell, I don't think they checked this before they sold this to me. Right? And you probably also know good craftsmen and you know every time you encounter their work, it's going to be good. They've checked it over top to bottom, and they've seen, this is good. This is good. This is a careful craftsman. This person actually cares about the thing that they're making. And at every step, God looked over his universe top to bottom and said, this is good. This is good. I like this. 
And he says this at, at almost every point in this tour of creation. And you can imagine, we well, can imagine Israel being taken along for this tour, but we're taken along for this tour too, right? The light and then the skies, the air, the waters, the land, the earth, the vegetation, the lights in the heavens, the stars, the moon, the sun, the animals. We look around at all of it and we see both God's power and God's care, right? On the one hand, we see Oh, the sun? Yeah, my God spoke that into existence. Isn't he good? Right? And, and, and it's like literally everything we come in contact with, we see God's power. But not only God's power, also God's care. Right? We feel the beams of the sun every morning. It's like, oh, that's good. God is good. God's a careful creator. We feel the, bree- the spring breeze. It's like, oh, God is good. God is good. He's a careful creator. A dog or a cat comes up to us, it's like, oh yeah, God is good. This is good, this, this creature that God made. God saw that the light was good. God saw that the earth and the seas were good, verse 10. God saw that the vegetation was good, verse 12. That the lights in the heavens, the stars, the moon, the sun were good, verse 18. That the living creatures in the air and the seas were good, verse 21. That the animals were good too, verse 25. And of course, at the end, after the creation of, of men and women, we'll talk about this more next week, verse 31, God saw, that, saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. Now this, this kind of thinking, this way of thinking about the world, that, that what God made was good, is counter to, it it cuts against the grain of the philosophies which are around us today, the pagan philosophies that we run into, and the pagan philosophies of the ancient world that Israel was running into, okay? So most of the creation accounts that, that Israel would have heard from the Egyptians or the Babylonians or the other people who are around them, the world starts in chaos, One Babylonian story, it's like the world starts in this war between these capricious gods and that one of these gods kills the other of these gods and that out of the corpse of this dead god, like that's what creation is. And so creation starts out in in chaos and disorder, like the world is inherently chaotic and disordered. That sounds strange, but it's actually, that story is much more similar to what um, contemporary secularists believe about the world than what Christians believe about the world. Because folks who believe that there is no creator, that there is no God, that there is no order, believe that this world began in chaos. That the, the, the chaos and the, the craziness we see around us, that's just because the world has always been chaotic and it always will be chaotic. We started from nothing, we'll end up with nothing. We are nothing, basically. There is no order. This is all just chaos. It's all just nothingness. It's what the the people around Israel believed, and it's what the people around us believe. It's not what the Bible teaches. Um, Francis Schaeffer, in his book, He is There and Is Not Silent, divides um, the worldviews of the world into two camps. He says there's the Christian worldview and there's everything else. Uh, He says in... In the Christian worldview, 
Right? We, we all understand that there's a, there's a mix of good things and bad things in the world. Right? There's like this beauty, there's sunrises, there's spring, there's fresh bread, and then there's also chaos, and there's death, and there's sickness, these sorts of things. And, and he says, the ancient pagan worldviews and the modern secularist, wor secularist worldviews, they all say the way things are now is the way things always have been. We started in chaos, we'll end in chaos. The reason there's so much wrong with the world is that this is the way it's always been. The Christian worldview says, no, no, no. This is not the way it's always been. God made this world good. It was good in the beginning. Right? At the end of each day, God looks around and says, oh, this is good. This is good. And at the end of the week, he said, this is very good. Right? And we understand, as Christians, that what went wrong the, with the world has nothing to do with our creator and everything to do with us. Right? That the chaos of the world is the result of our own sin, not the result of the inherent design of the creation. And Schaefer says, this is why the non-Christian worldviews are hopeless and why the Christian worldview can offer hope. Because in looking around at death and sickness and chaos, the Christian says, it hasn't always been this way. It hasn't always been this way. God made it good in the beginning. And we have hope that the God who powerfully ordered all things in the beginning can also powerfully order all things toward an ultimate end when things can end in the end and be good again. Right? And be good again. This is what we talked about last week, right? that in Jesus, God our creator is making all things new. He's making this world good again. He's doing work on our hearts and apart from anything in us, he's making us good again, inexplicably. And one day he'll actually, he's actually recreating the, the, all the heavens and the earth. He's making all things new and making all things good. I want to close this morning by turning to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, which we looked at a couple of years ago now. Mark chapter 1 in the baptism of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. You can imagine Jesus down in the water being baptized. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. There's echoes of Genesis all through this. You've got the waters. You've got the Spirit of God hovering like a bird over the waters. You have the word of God coming from heaven. You have the word of God actually incarnate in the river. This is a picture of new creation. This is creation language applied to Jesus because in Jesus, God is making all things new. Right? Through his powerful word, now incarnate in the person of Jesus, God is recreating and he is powerfully and carefully forming his people and forming this world into the new creation. And of course, this is the hope of the gospel. 
This is why we don't have to be hopeless. This is why we don't have to doubt. We don't have to be like the Israelites in the wilderness wandering, wondering if God can deliver us. We can have confidence. We worship the God who formed this world in the beginning with power and with care. And we worship the God who has made himself known in Jesus Christ, and he is making us new. We can have hope that our, our sins and our foibles, all that we struggle with, all that we encounter in the world, Jesus is enough. He's powerful enough. The word is powerful enough. He's careful enough. He actually loves us. He actually loves those who come to him. And he broods over us. He hovers over us with care and with love. And he will bring us all into the new creation, all who all who come to Jesus in faith. We worship the God who formed all things in the beginning with power and with care. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for speaking to us. We pray that you would give us faith, that you would give us eyes to see who you are, and to live in light of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.